This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Fill in the seats. Our heart is that you fall in love with Jesus. That's my job. I know some of you are married and you got sweeties and honeys and other people, but I want you to love Jesus first and foremost above all else. And that was last week's sermon. Uh, Last week we talked about the thought process, how we analyze our values. And we actually had everybody come up here and we had a chalkboard and Jan was writing stuff down and we were trying to figure out how would you make, how do you go about making choices? What are the values that you, whether stated or, you know, in a sense expressed, What are the values you have that are determining the choices that you're making? And Jesus made it clear, particularly in last week's lesson, that he is first and foremost in your heart. Or he's not in your heart at all. It's a a basically earth-shattering statement that either he is first or he isn't in the picture. And we know whether he's first or not based upon our actions, our response to him. And we try hard to try to make you understand this is not about us growing a church, a body. I've had some conversations which are exciting this week, uh, particularly with the NFL. And I found out there, there is some support out there. There's funding for former players, if you know any former players, um, to help start businesses. So I'm like, oh, this may be the Lord, right? So God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for this church. So I think what we can rest and we don't have to compromise our values. We can build people's lives. We can tell people the truth. Maximus didn't make it. Um, We can make sure we invest in people because that above all else is the priority. So understand if you're a a member of this church, like, like Tim was talking about, our goal is not just to make you fill the seat. Our goal is for you to allow God to fill your heart so that you're so obsessed with the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the first thing in and on your mind when you wake up and the last thing in and on your mind when you go to bed. We want you to love Jesus. He knows whether you love him or not. And today we're going to talk about some of the evidences, not only that you love him, but that you're in his family. If you can, uh, we're going to open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. We're going to run through this really quickly. I think it's a good uh, scripture. Greg didn't talk long this week, so we got a lot of time, so I could take my time. <laughs> That's for you, Greg. Uh, awesome. Um, let's pray and let's jump in. And Father God, thank you today for your spirit who is with us, Lord, the promise. And we're thankful, Father God, that we can hear your voice, Lord God, that you have a purpose and plan for our lives. I thank you, Father God, for our, our protection, Lord God. We thank you for your spirit, Lord. We thank you for your strategies and plans and your kingdom. And we ask you, Father God, today that we hear your voice and we respond in a way that is worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a quote and we'll jump in here. Um, I don't know who Mitch is, uh, but we're going to quote Mitch today. (laughs) I kind of like what he says. He says this. Remember, I prepared this lesson over a year and a half ago, all right, over a year and a half. It says, sticking with your family is what makes you 
family. I don't know whether that's objectively true or not or subjectively true to some, but, but I like the point because we're going to talk today about a point I think most people wrestle with. Do you know those people who obey the commands of Jesus Christ are, present tense, your eternal, a member of your eternal family? The people who have been saved born again, who are in God's kingdom this day, will be with you for all eternity. Look around you today. These people will be with you forever. (laughs) It's not that scary, guys. (laughs) This is real. This is it. We are going to be interacting with each other, with us, for eternity. The person to your right, and I don't know what wall you're on, or to your left, depending upon the wall you're on, you're going to be around them forever. It's just getting started. If you think you know the person beside you now, oh, wait, because you're going to get to know everything about them. Now, I have a problem. I have this issue that when I, and I'm still working through it, and please don't look at me uh, shady after I say this. Sometimes I have a problem once I really understand somebody. Sometimes I have this um, issue, I, I, I get this discontent toward them. You know, I, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm just trying to be honest here. Uh, I read the book called Ender's Game, and he was the exact opposite. When he really understood somebody, he loved them. But for me, when I really understand somebody, their motives, sometimes I'm like, oh, that's it? And then I get, like, disappointed and sad. But the truth is, I don't know you even an nth as much as I will know you in eternity. There's a challenge to this premise that Jesus brings. We have to understand in this text right here, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 has just gave this ultimatum. And this is interesting because we were in this exact spot when we went to Israel. We were here. So I can close my eyes and describe to you, so can Jared and so can Greg, this exact spot where this conversation took place in Capernaum. In Galilee, Jesus has just been having this big debate with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious leaders. He just healed a man, and then they say, he drives out spirit by who? Satan. They have just consciously attributed the work that was empowering the source of Jesus' power to Satan. Chapter 12 is a watershed in the book of Matthew. Before chapter 12, when Jesus was communicating, he communicated openly to everybody. He never used parables until this statement happened in chapter 12. He talked to everyone plainly. But after that, in a sense, accusation that was brought against him, he began to speak in parables for judgment's sake. He no longer spoke openly about who he was, his purpose, his plan, and their current status with God. From that point forward, he was speaking in parables. And for his disciples to understand what he was saying, they had to have these one-on-one backroom conversations. But in the midst of this heated exchange, something interesting happens. 
Jesus is talking back and forth and waging spiritual warfare with the sinister services of Satan. That's sinister services. Satan's forces and, and, and also the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's coming back with the word and then they accuse him of being empowered by the devil. And he goes at him. Okay. That's it. That's un. It's a sin that will not be forgiven. How many knows those sins exist? He says it, not me. Jesus said this sin will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. So these guys are in trouble. And then he goes on to have this conversation. He's in this place where it's awesome. We, we, I think it was day eight or nine when we finally got our luggage. And, and we're going on the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if I've told this story, but I think I have. I'll say it again because I love it. And we're going on the Sea of Galilee, and it's raining like cats and dogs. We're in Israel. It's raining like cats and dogs. And we're getting on this little boat. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm singing hymns to myself. Like, oh, we're going to make it. Do we have to cry out in the name of the Lord to be saved, to make it to the other side? I don't know. But it's raining. And, and you know what? I'm not exaggerating. Wasn't that raining, Jared? See, I have credibility. <laughs> I was. Yeah. We were, I was not alone. It was raining hard, and they had to pull down the sides of the boat because it was wet everywhere. And we're like, oh, no. And we're on the boat, and it's going like this. And this one lady's like, oh, I'll get a little emotion. I said, do I get, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to because I'm not going to be afraid like the disciples. I'm going to make it to the other side. And we turn the boat around and we start going. And the boat's rocking and it's rolling and the rain's coming down. And then the, the speaker of the other team starts to talk about where we are. And they say, Pastor, will you pray? Is this all true, Jared? And then, lo and behold, the man of God prayed. <laughs> you know I'm going to try this. And, am I, and then, do you know what happened to the sky? It cleared. Am I, Jared? And then, guess what, Pastor Rashawn? A rainbow came out. <laughs> yes, um, this is all real. And then people started coming up to me and said, oh, your prayer. Now, I remember the story about Herod, right? He had to give God the glory. He got ate by worms. So I was like, oh, praise God. You know, we talked about that in the sermon, give God the glory. I'm like, oh, praise God. God moved. It was awesome. Then I go sit down. I was like, oh, was that a sign? It was almost the synopsis of my life. We got to Israel, and we didn't have bags for eight out of the ten days. We kept a good attitude. We get on the Sea of Galilee. I'm like, oh, it's going to be so awesome in this storming. And then I say once again, last time I'll tell this part, on the way back, I passed a kidney stone going to the airplane to come back 12 hours. And I'm like, but I'm going to be faithful, God. And I tell you, was it worth it? It was all worth it. But I was like, God is so good. We made it to the other side. This is called Galilee of Capernaum. And we see Peter's house. We are looking 
at Peter's home. Now, there's a church on top of it because there's a church on top of everything over there. I'm just letting you know. But this, but I'm, this is, I'm just being honest. But there's a church on top of it, and you can look in the bottom. We should get one of these here, right, Jared? Like, you can look in the bottom and see the place where Jesus slept. We saw the house of Peter. And, and the house was big because during that day and time, the whole family lived together. So it was mother and father and uncles and aunts. Like, they were all in the same house. So this is where Jesus is having this conversation. If I were coming out of the house and if I look to my left, the Sea of Galilee is right there. And if I close my eyes and look to the right, then, then there's a, there's a uh, synagogue to the right. And this synagogue was right beside Peter's house. So when you see Jesus in a synagogue and then finally going back to home, because Jesus moved to Galilee from Nazareth. He was the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. So we're, we're there looking at his house, and I'm thinking, man, as I'm studying for this, Like, this is the spot. And they moved there because Peter was the one who decided to move there because they wouldn't wouldn't get taxed there like they would if they lived back where they were originally from. So it was a tactical move by Peter to escape certain taxes, a tax break. But Jesus, after leaving the synagogue and having this big debate about whether or not he's who he says he is or is he filled with the Holy Spirit or the Satan, as his accuser said, Something happens here that we have to look at. It says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, this is Jesus. Remember, this is the last time he has this open conversation in a clear way. Behold, his, who? His mother and brothers stood outside. So they are not in the synagogue. They are outside of Peter's house. So Jesus is inside of Peter's house with And it's packed. But Jesus' biological family, who's still alive because Joseph is dead at this point, come to him. And Jesus at this point has his mother, brothers, and sisters. And they come to Jesus for a purpose. But remember, Jesus is in this debate, this argument. Jesus is doing the will of God, and his family comes and tries to kind of hinder that. And look at what he says. His mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. It says in Mark that that they thought he was what? Crazy. In Mark, they thought Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our God, our Lord, our King of Kings, was out of his mind. So they're coming there to get him. That's the part that was left out in Matthew. But it's in Mark. But here it says, then one said to him, this is somebody in Peter's house, Look, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. So they've come to collect Jesus, their older brother, because they think he's cray-cray. We need to bring him home because big brother lost it. Big brother's going crazy. And we need to bring Peter, uh, we need to bring Jesus back from Peter's home back to Nazareth. Now look at this. In 48, there is a contrast indicated by the word but, which means the idea preceding the but is different than the one that's coming up. This idea here is an exact contrast to this idea here. So these people are seeking to speak with him, but he answered and said to the one whom told him, 
who is my mother and who are my brothers? And I've talked to a lot of people, particularly mothers, about this scripture. They said, what in the world? Jesus needs to wash his mouth out talking to his mama like that. Come on, Jesus. Because <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, this next statement that comes up should challenge every single one of us. But I have to give you context regarding why this challenge is there. Because we have to understand this world is God's. It's all God's. He created the world. The Bible said he created everything for, by Jesus and for Jesus. Everything that exists is for Jesus. Everything that exists is for Jesus. This is God's planet. He created it. Soon his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, will come down here on earth where he will rule in Jerusalem. We were there too. He will rule from a throne in Jerusalem for all eternity. This world was created for Jesus to rule his inhabitants, his citizens. Currently, we have an enemy occupant named Satan in God's kingdom who is in rebellion with other people. But we're still in God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is coming down. Presently, we're in God's kingdom. What is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? It is Christ's likeness universalized. When you look at Jesus Christ, you're looking at how citizens of heaven should act, should think. Everything God's trying to tell you through Christ is one thing. Live now as though you are in the kingdom because you are. Living opposite to the kingdom results in negative consequences. We tell people not to sin. But we say, hey, Jesus died for all your sins, and he did. And because of your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection, you have access into the kingdom. But understand the kingdom rules still apply to you today. That's why you'll eventually be judged. We all will be judged unless we put our faith in Jesus. But now that we're in the kingdom of God and the soon coming kingdom of heaven, we need to act as a citizen would act. We need to understand what the values of the kingdom are. He expects us to know and do those things that reflect the citizen of his kingdom. So here, he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? What he's saying is, who are my family in the kingdom? Remember, he's contrasting his biological family with who? His kingdom family. Here's the point. And then, after Jesus asked that rhetorical question, he gives an answer. He says, he stretched out his hand toward his disciples. Now, he didn't just say the 12, because remember, he had more disciples than the 12. The 12 were the apostles. But he had 70, sometimes there's 100, sometimes there's more. But he had a lot of disciples with him. Some were women, some were men, whoever. These were people who were following Christ while he was alive. And he points to these people, not his mom, not his brother and sister. Now, what he's not saying is, if you have biological family, not to, he's not saying don't care for them. Because remember, when he was on the cross, he told John what? He told John to take care of my mom. 
He's not saying don't care for your biological family. But he's trying to say, but you have to understand your true family are the ones who do this unique thing on the earth. And what is that? He says, here are my mother, brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Did you see that? Jesus says, if you want to know who your true family is in Christ, look for the ones who are doing God's will. This is the question I ask today. This is a rhetorical question, not for you to respond. When is the last time you did God's will? When is the last time you did God's will? Because according to this, doing God's will makes you a what? Makes you family. Doing God's will, according to the text, is what makes you family. And if you want to know who your eternal family is, you look for the people who are doing God's will. That doesn't advocate you from responsibility of taking care of your biological family. We know there are laws for that. Take care of your parents, the Bible says. Take care of your kids. He who doesn't work shouldn't eat. You're, you're, you're obligated to care for your wife and your kids. But biblically, you have to understand this point Jesus is trying to make here. As his family is trying to interrupt him, and particularly his mom. That's why this is important. It threw Mary in there. The virgin. She got thrown in there. And what he's saying is, and moms, don't get mad at me after saying this. I'm just going to say it. He, I'm going to do the will of the father over the mother. I'm obligated to do the will of the father over the mother. Got a couple points that we're done for the day. We have to understand this. Humans that do God's will are in fact the children of God. You always ask people, how will we know? And there's some denomination out there that have these spiritual signs that show they are, there's evidence that they're saved. That's what they say. The other denominations say, if you just attend this church and sign your name, you're, you're saved. But, 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 but the Bible makes it clear. Are you doing God's will? The law was designed to show us we had no capacity to do the will of God. But once we are saved and filled with His Spirit, we have the capacity, the energy, the ability to do what we couldn't do before. The Holy Spirit empowers you. It's God's grace that allows you to do the will. That's why Jesus in the Old Testament tells you what? If you commit adultery, that's a sin. But in the New Testament, He says what? If you look at a woman lustfully, He has taken the standard higher. If they couldn't do it in the Old Testament, how is he expected to do it in the New Testament? Unless he can empower us to do it. I was a coffee drinker. Oh, you know where I'm going with this. I was drinking at one time six shots of coffee before I would go to work. Six. Um, that's, that's a lie. You saw me here at this church two months ago drinking coffee, and I stopped for a while, but then I started back up because I just, I just love it. I love the fat in the coffee, the sugar. <laughs> I was being honest, right? 
The creed, I love it. I love it. I just love it. But nevertheless, it was bad for me. I was getting what she called the word bloated. And I'd be belching. I'm just being honest. I'm just keeping it real. But we did the Daniel fast. And I thought, I'll never be able to stop drinking coffee as long as I shall live. I mean, as long as I shall live. I, I had, I'm, I'm like, but then I started feeling guilty because, wow, when I'm up here preaching, am I being inspired by the Holy Spirit? Or is it the spirit of caffeine? Oh, you know what? I'm not telling you not to drink coffee as you drink your coffee looking at me smiling. I see you, Miranda, <laughs> as she works at a coffee shop. Look, I'm just trying to say this. I'm just trying to say, I needed coffee to make it. And I thought, there's no way I'll be able to survive without coffee. I thought that. But then I said, I'm not trusting God. How can I preach about trusting God from the pulpit and not even trust him for my own life? I'm a hypocrite. But what happened is I went through this fast. I detoxed my body. And I'm telling a joke every time I do that. But then after that, now I did the headache thing for a week. I took my Advil, the coffee withdrawal, the caffeine withdrawals. Uh, and once I got through with that, I didn't have a headache again. And then after that, I've been off coffee now for above a month. I'm not saying that to brag or boast. I'm saying that because, you know what? I didn't think it was possible for me to preach without coffee. I remember one time I was preaching. I'm telling you, one day I had like five shots and I had a phone call from somebody from the church. And they were like, I'm not pointing at anybody. But I'm just saying, they were like, were you tired? Because you sure weren't the same, right? And I'm like, oh, maybe I was like, I'm so sorry. I had to repent because I was up here just slurring and drooling and stuttering with my words because I needed coffee. In my brain, I thought, man, I need more coffee. So I upped the shots. But I was like, am I trusting the Holy Spirit? But now, because I detoxed, I got distractions out the way. I'm now a vessel God can use and I can obey his commands. What I'm trying to say is this command seems hard. Putting God first, putting his people first. But when you detox, doing his will is possible. Next point. Why do we know this? Need to know this so that we can identify with our true family. You right now, some of us say, I'm never going to love these people in the church more than my own biological family. And I always say, okay, where do you get that thought from? Blood is thicker than water. I understand that. You have natural emotions that make you say the people who are in my family are, in a sense, more dear, more affectionate to me than the people I go to church with. Even though there's no guarantee that your family, well, even if they're not, specifically if they're not saved, are even going into eternity. Now, we don't want them not to go to heaven. We obviously are praying and fast for all our families to go to heaven, but you have to understand this one point. Those people who are doing God's will, you know right now, are your eternal family. But we don't have affections for them like we do our own biological family, and we have to ask ourselves the question, Why? Why do I love my own biological family, whether they're saved or not, more than the people who I know love God and will be with me and God with, for all eternity? That is the question that you have to ask yourself. Don't just reject what I'm saying. Think about it. Most people will stop right here and say, I'm not going to love my brother. I'm not going to love my brother in Christ or sister in Christ more than I do, you know, my, my son, my daughter, my uncle, my cousin, my mom and dad. No way. 
It's a no-brainer in light of eternity. The question is, why don't we think that way? That's all I'm asking. All I'm asking you is one day, sometime this week, just ask yourself this question. Could I? Not should I, because obviously you should. Could I ever love my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, more than I love my biological family? We need to do God's will and fall in love with those that do the same. Why? Because they are your true family hidden in God. Those people to your right and to your left, whether you know it or not, they're your true family. So take the time to engage with them. You say, hey, these people in church are fake or hypocrites. These people in church, they're shady. They talk negatively about me. They gossip on me. They talk about behind my back. They don't love me like my family loves me. My family will ride or die with me. But these people in the church, if I do one thing wrong, you know what? They're going to start chirping. They're not loyal. But wait a minute. Who, and I'm not trying to be negative, but who has probably hurt you more than anybody else on the earth but your family, your biological family? But you haven't given up on them. Your biological family has had the capacity and will have the capacity to hurt you. But you're not giving up on them. And if you ever have to get to that point, I hope you never do. God forbid that ever happens. But if, if you had to get to that point, that will be a tough decision to make. I've seen people who had to make that choice. But understand these people here in the church are your family. For as long as you live. Why do we need to do this? So that we can be, begin to invest in a relationship that will never, ever end. You can look at the negative aspects of this sermon and say, you know what, that's tough. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that my family might not make it to heaven. I understand that nobody does. But I want to make this point clear to you. That these people who are with you to your right or to your left right now are your family. So take the time and spend with them. Hang out with them. There's some great people here in the sanctuary, in the sanctuary today. They're great. I've hung out with them, I know. Sometimes I know where you like to eat. I even know what you would even wear when you get married. I know what your dress would look like. I know. Some of you, I know what it looks like inside your bedroom. I've been in there for all the right purposes. <laughs> you know I had to fix that, bro. Don't look that way. <laughs> I know what kind of car you like. I know your dreams, some of you. I know your fears. We are family. But just not me. You all are family. It's okay to make yourself vulnerable to your brother and sister in Christ. They're following the same God you are following. Here we go. You may get mad at me on this one, but this is the one you remember. I guarantee it. Do I even need to read it? I'm going to get in trouble if I read that one. <laughs> hey, look at what it says. I'm not going to read it, but I'll read it. Your family's not in the plasma, but in the master. 
<laughs> no? Or I tried hard. <laughs> but you get the point. Your family is in Christ. That's it. If what if that what if you would take that to be absolutely objectively true? How would that change your life? There's a point we want to get in our lives, my wife and myself, where we have all our debt paid for, financial peace. We want to get all our debt out the way. We want to not live off the 90, but we want to live off the 50. We want to live off the 40 and be able to use the rest of our resource to help our family because that's what family does. Oh, Pastor, you're talking about money. (laughs) I didn't say money for the building. Not for my salary, not for other salaries in the church, but for our family. Last point. Remember, God values truth over our experiences. I know this is hard. It is. I remember one of my favorite Christmases with uh, my wife and my son, Titus. It was just us at that time. We were in a, a little apartment in I was introduced to Curious George Christmas Monkey. I don't know, well, you, have you started on that yet? Well, don't start, because once you start, you don't turn back. Just being honest. And the Christmas Monkey song was playing, and, and I was getting into Christmas Monkey. I was like, this is the best Christmas ever. One of the best memories of my life. And you may think at that moment, you know what, man, I, I love my family more than any. Like, i die for my family. Of course you would. Why? See, if, if we only love our family because of what they do for us and how they make us feel, then we have to consider the quality of love we really have for our family. See, our family in Christ are the ones God asks us to love. You have, I have a wife. I chose to love her. I made a choice, and I'm obligated by God to co- keep that commitment for as long as I live. But my mom and dad, I didn't have a choice. I was just born and they were just, hey, clean your room. I'm like, God, come on. <laughs> when will this end? But it'll never end with my wife. And because it's a choice, it honors God if I keep it. We didn't choose, we, we here didn't choose our biological family, but because we chose Christ, for lack of intents and purposes, we also chose each other. And Christ asks us to keep that relationship. Because the Bible says, the world will know that you're my disciples when you all love each other. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.